Yo, yo, yo. Special show today. Bringing in my Tilt Space bros. We do a show every Sunday night, 6.30 p.m. Eastern on the Line Movement channel. We tilt, we sweat our lineups, but more importantly, we build high stakes lineups together for single entry, three max contests. My partners in crime, Joe Holka, Mike Leone, welcome to my channel. Take your shoes off, fellas. Feels good. Feels good, man. Joe, how are we doing here? You noticed that I the last time you had done a video on my channel, it was with Mans two years ago. Dude, it, we've come a long way. There's some people in the chat. We're checking that out. I was, uh, I remember being on your channel. I, I know we had uh, probably dozens of views at that point, man. So I, I think we're going to have to bring you over uh, 2K subs. It, it's only fair, right? Like, yeah. uh, it's been a while. Two years, 2K subs. It all makes sense. Yeah, we are very close to 2K subs. If you guys want to help me get there, hit the subscribe button. Really appreciate you guys watching all the vids this year. And Leone, too, one of my most watched videos still all time is you and Mans talking WNBA strategy. Do you remember Seriously? that? Seriously? Okay. I do remember that. I remember being a little nervous because I didn't know you as well then. And like, you know, the whole WNBA thing, I wasn't sure where the jokes were going to go, but it went really well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You were worried that uh, Mans was going to take a really like sexist <laughs> turn or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mans is going to get a little misogynistic Mans on me, but. <laughs> um, so here's what I want to do for this show. Um, you know, you've heard uh, us talk a lot about kind of our strategies and stuff. If you guys watch us on Sunday nights, but I wanted to kind of go soup to nuts, how we kind of build our lineups, the contests that we uh, select and just kind of that all overall process, because I think, you know, people are interested in that. We obviously had our big hit earlier this season where we won $50,000, uh, which has been booing our bankroll here as we've now bled the past few weeks. I thought just to kick us off, I could pull up a screenshot here of our back end accounting. So you guys can know kind of what we are looking at here. Leone has this beautiful formatted sheet. Um, Leone, as a, you know, a high stakes DFS regular, this chart, would you say we are running hot? Would you say we are running about at expectation? What, when you look at our results so far through, through nine weeks, what, what jumps out to you? We're running hot. I think, I mean, I want to give ourselves some credit because we're constructing lineups that can legitimately win. And I think that's a really smart way to do it, but we have had Basically, our only two sweats this year, we've come in first place and second place. And the sweat that we had for second place, we were pretty much capped at second place. And that was the week that we had uh, Dallas-Seattle stacks and Metcalf and Gallup had really late touchdowns and it propelled us into second place. And so I think we're right. I mean, we're definitely running hot. Any Anytime you bink a GPP, really, you're running, you're running hot. So uh, I feel good about our process, though. So I'm, I'm happy with everything. Joe, I know in recent weeks, we've actually scaled down our volume a little bit. We had our shot taking at the Thunderdome the week after winning the $1,500 game changer. And now when we are chatting about what we're going to play, we're lowering it a little bit. We're now in for, you know, 4,200 collectively instead of, you know, 7,000 collectively. <laughs> uh, how are you feeling about our bankroll management right now? I'm feeling good, man. I thought that you were going to be the nit in terms of like trying to figure out uh, which contest we were going to play after we ran this thing up to like 66, 67K. Uh, it was, uh, I guess we were, we were just going to play whatever we wanted at that point. Uh, we got knocked down to earth pretty quickly after uh, Dak Prescott snaps his ankle the week we played the Thunderdome. So that wasn't great. 
but to Leone's point, I, I think we've done a really good job at constructing teams for these type of field sizes for sure. I think that overall, we haven't had many sweats in terms of like just at being at the cash line. And that's where you want to be. We've had a couple. We've, mm -hmm. we've been getting some shots on goal. We've been putting some uh, some balls in play. What was the what was the the golf one? Since it is Masters Week, uh, greens and regulation. Greens and regulation. <laughs> yeah. So we, we've got some we've got some pucks on that here that I think we'll continue to do, uh, and hopefully we have at least one more hit left in us this year. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Uh, do you worry that people are going to say we're one trick pony because we've won with Dallas game stacks and we can't do that anymore? Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, you know, our season has kind of gone downhill ever since uh, Dak got injured and that we actually had. We went back to the Dak double stack that week. He got hurt and it was one of those things again where everyone thought, you know, they out leveled themselves with the galaxy brain thinking we went back to it and it looked like it was going to hit again if he didn't get hurt. Yeah, that was the week uh, I was anti-sweating our team and there was some tension in the tilt space. Yeah. Yeah. So again, kind of letting you guys know how this works. So we we are in our, our Discord Slack and, you know, throughout the week we are discussing uh, which contests we want to play, um, kind of early ideas. You know, we'll all jump in. I think Leonie and I a little bit earlier then Holka, you know, we'll, we'll start looking, we get too curious. And then Holka, you're normally waiting until Friday, Saturday to really get all of your concrete thoughts down, right? I think you guys have more self-control than me. Like if I build a lineup on a Thursday, I'm still going to play it in the millionaire maker or whatever it is. So like, I, I like to have a little bit more ownership information. I, I like to kind of uh, take most of my Saturday to get away from the computer screens a little bit. Uh, so my like full, like serious building is almost always happening uh, very early on Sunday mornings, maybe a little bit on Saturdays, but I don't build a ton of teams overall. I'm going to start playing a little bit more of the short slates, that kind of thing. But yeah, you guys always seem uh, further ahead in your process on like Friday than I am for sure. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Well, Joe's also a busy man throughout the week. So uh, it makes sense that, you know, he's he getting all this content out and then he likes to take a little bit of a breather and reset for me. You know, my main show that I'm doing is the ETR show on Saturday morning. So I'm like getting really geared up for that. And as I go through things and also doing the projections throughout the week, you know, I kind of get thoughts in my mind and I kind of word vomit you guys in the discord channel. Uh, Joe is right though. Sometimes it's tough to not get anchored to plays you talk about early in the week. I feel like we've done a pretty good job this year though of not doing that, even though we've talked about plays early on. Yeah, I use, I think just the simple thing of, you know, when I pull up my spreadsheet on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings and I'm pulling in my updated ownership there and then just allowing that to re-anchor me to the current reality. And we see big ownership shifts as well. So as long as you're looking at updated ownership, I think you can get a really good frame of reference. Um, after or before we move on here, Joe, um, any thoughts about our game selection so far? You know, we are sticking to the the single entry and three max mostly. Um, do you have any of these contests that you prefer you'd like to see us get back to? We've now kind of settled into playing the Juke three max and the single entry game changer. Uh, but is there another contest you'd ultimately like to see us back in? Um, I think the opposite actually, because I, I love what we were doing with the juke. Leone and I both really love that tournament. It's probably one of the best tournaments on DraftKings if you are kind of in that buy-in level. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of playing the spy overall. I know you love that uh, contest, Pete, but it's 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 not a great contest overall. I know there's a little bit of ceiling to it. It's still like a 1.5x min cash, which I try and stay away from. I know Leone focuses a little bit more on the percentage in the top 10, uh, which I agree with that as well. Also, not great in the spy 
Um, so I think that if I had any, I guess, concerns is that it's not like that's going to bleed our bankroll or anything like that. But I just in general like to try and stay away from those type of tournaments. We did have a, a, a week where we played the Wildcats. We had a team that we really liked. That's also not a great tournament to play on DraftKings. But outside of that, guys, we've been pretty consistent. Uh, I was kind of ripping on you for being a nit, but we, we've done pretty well, I think, on on keeping it between the lines. And Leone, one thing we're balancing here, right? Like if we were truly just our sole goal was to grind out an ROI, a nice profit in GPPs, our selection would look a little different. We probably wouldn't have fired three bullets at the Mega Millie two weeks ago, right? We're trying <laughs> yeah. to balance some content, tilt, sweat, equity with also trying to make sure we have a winning season. I also feel like, you know, it's okay to take some shots. You know, I, that might not be a common take and the most responsible bankroll take, but you know, you have to know what your goals are getting into things. And if you're trying to, you know, take some shots at life-changing money, sort of the way we approach it is we play these small fields where we legitimately have a chance to win. And then once we win, we can kind of take some shots with the profit. So I don't mind mixing and matching. And we did the smart thing where we took our shots. It didn't work out. And now we're back to who we are. We're not messing around. And I was kind of laughing when Joe was explaining that he, he was worried that, Peter, you were going to be the one, you know, the nippers that name and worried about our bankroll. But man, once you got a taste of those big grand prizes, though, I, I think that my eyes right awesome, man. He doesn't yeah. care. Fire it all in. Push the chips in. Let's well, do it. We were also talking about just how psychologically, how so nice it is to front load your wins, right? Like if you could say you're going to win $50,000 on the season and yet you, what would you rather have? Win that in week three or win that in week 16? Like it's not even close. It's so much nicer to, you know, I feel like I noticed last year in my bankroll challenge when I was a way worse DFS player, I was making suboptimal decisions as the season went on because I was getting scared. Like I was like, I was just yeah. discombobulated. But now I feel like when you get a little bit of a cushion here, it just makes it easier to make clear-headed decisions. I don't care about a um, you know, a, a contrarian play whiffing. Like I'm not worried about that anymore because you know you're just trying to access the ceiling. So having that buffer is uh is definitely nice if you can front load your wins. Absolutely. And I think too, I mean, the way we play, you're gonna have weeks where you know, it's, you're just not going to win. You know, uh, if a certain element of the chalk goes off, we're probably just the way we construct, just going to take an L that week. And I know some people like they like really in their heads think they can win every week. You know, if they give it enough thought, they can figure it out or retrospectively, they'll be like, Oh, Devonte Adams chalk. I could have found a way to fit him in and still have been unique. And that's not really the way I play. The way I play is there's going to be weeks that I'm dead in the water and it's just not meant to be, and that's okay. I'm going to completely whiff. And, but as a result of that, there's also going to be weeks where I, I'm competing and it doesn't take a whole lot for me to have a legitimate chance to win the tournament. Yeah. And I want to pull up our lineup. This is our lineup that we won the uh, $50,000 on. This is the single entry game changer. And one thing I think you've heard all of us say this year, multiple times is like this idea of how many things we have to get right and that is the kind of nice thing about playing these smaller field tournaments, 213 entries here. We talk about, you know, not playing scared. I just put that comment up. Like when you look at this lineup, this was the, the DAC double stack with the Odell bring back on the week he went off. We had the infamous Troutman bagel and we ate chalk at Kamara and Mike Davis. And then we had the one off Joe Mixon massive play. But when I look at this lineup, this was one of those things where we said we got two things right. We got the game stack. And we got Joe Mixon right. And so when you really think about it through that lens of like, yeah, if we are just trying to identify two things, maybe three things in our lineups each week, like, yeah, we're going to go four or five weeks without 
hitting, but you know that the decisions we have to actually hit on are relatively small because of the contest. Joe, do you have any other lessons and takeaways looking at this lineup? Uh, maybe things we've gotten away from or we should get back to? Yeah, it's a nice, uh, I guess, uh, reminder that like, I don't remember exactly the context of everything from this lineup for sure, but it's a nice reminder to where like when we're at our best, we're, we're finding some sort of game stack that has a lot of upside that maybe people are overlooking even just pieces of it, right? Like CD Lamb was a huge portion of this lineup. I think that was kind of when no one was really sure if it was going to be Gallup or if it was going to be Lamb, obviously pretty early in the season there. Um, so we ended up just going with the lower own piece, adding to that part of the stack. I can't remember if Zeke was popular. This week, I'm sure Camara was obviously almost 70% in this contest. Uh, but I think one thing that stands out for me is we still did eat the chalk with two running back slots, but we got really <laughs> weird with Joe Mixon, a running back then. And I'll get this off right off the half because I, I know I can already see Mike laughing, but <laughs> I'm fine playing these running backs that are still going to project for volume. Like we knew Joe Mixon was going to touch the ball 20 times or whatever it is, 5%. Get him in there. I think that's totally fine. And tight ends, just the worst. So just like punting it off with Troutman. Um, maybe that was one portion of this lineup that wasn't great. I guess it was more of a block than anything, right? Because he was the stone man and got us to the construction we wanted. Uh, but 2,500 taking the bagel at 30% doesn't feel great. But we did have some nice lower own pieces for sure. Leone, one thing I've been thinking about, and I've been seeing some of the ownership percentages in my spy contest where I'm like every piece except maybe one is under 10%. Um, I might be out leveraging myself a little bit. You look at this lineup here and really, I mean, just basically kind of two big leverage plays in CeeDee Lamb and Joe Mixon and not a ton else truly off the board. Do you think as the man who likes to go contrarian, have we, have we swung a little too far? You know, the people tell us that we need to just uh, man up and play some of this chalk. Yeah, I don't think so. I was kind of laughing because I knew a week after we didn't play Dalvin Cook that uh, when you asked Joe if there was something we should go back to and we've got a 69% Kamara in there, that that was going to be one of the things he pointed out. I do think as I thought about it more, you know, not playing Dalvin Cook last week was probably a mistake because he was just such a phenomenal play. And we ended up playing some receiver chalk that was just as owned, if not more owned, you know, Dalvin didn't even end up creeping up anywhere near where Kamara was this week, for example. So I do think, you know, we, we can play those just stud volume running backs, regardless of ownership. The key is, and we've said this a few weeks, you know, there's three chalk running backs. Let's play two of them. And that's what we did here. You know, we played two of them. We got weird with the, with the third one and it paid off in a big way. But, you know, other than that, I think Lamb just goes to show you that ancillary pieces when the game goes off matter. Lamb was somewhat unique because I think we legitimately liked him. We didn't play him just because of the game stack, even though it worked out. Um, but there are situations throughout the year, too. We've seen it with Seattle with Metcalf and Lockett. Uh, we see it sometimes with Cup and Robert Woods. We saw it with Lamb and Gallup, where people are chasing the most recent week on these guys that are honestly like pretty similar plays overall. And a lot of times you're better off simply taking the guy that didn't do as well last week. Now that's gotten difficult with the Metcalf Lockett situation because Metcalf keeps getting priced much higher and then the ownership gets out of whack because of that. Yeah. We're going to talk uh, about the Week 10 slate specifically here coming up. We will finish the show building a lineup, but I still want to kind of dive into how our ideas and lineup building process comes together throughout the week. Joe, how would you describe it for the people as far as us batting around ideas? Obviously, we do most of the concrete building on Sundays. We get off of our show at noon. We hop on with Mike, and we're normally done building those three to four lineups within 30 to 40 minutes. Do you feel 
rushed and frantic with that? Have you felt good with how those come together there? What would you like to see done differently? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think that it's uh, like we're in a rush or anything like that. I actually think that's like the best time to be building and at least cut off. Like one thing that I've found that's actually really helpful for me and some other DFS sports like NHL in particular is if I sit there and stare at it for an hour, even like a little over an hour, I'll completely like flip flop and start really just getting away from what I think was my first impression or my first instinct. So I think like almost capping it like we have at about 30 minutes or so, because we obviously have other lineups to build right before lock as well. I think that's actually been helpful for us. I think that that's been good. We always talk about not just putting in the cheap defense, but we do it every single week. So maybe that's one thing we should still continue to work on as a group, maybe not doing that. Um, but I think we all kind of come into it, obviously that close to lock. We feel pretty good about uh, like certain stacks, certain plays. But uh, one thing I think we've done a good job of, like now that we're playing like three max and that sort of thing, is we try and get in at least one of each of our like just like flagship like this is one of the top GPP plays on the slate. So we've done a good job at that. I think overall, um, there's been some times where throughout the week we we feel pretty not anchored is not the right word, but we feel pretty good about certain stacks. And by the time we sit down and start building it, maybe ownership has already moved at that point on Sunday morning. We don't even go that direction. Like a couple times we fell in to this Mahomes stack just because like why why is no one playing? Mahomes again in this the stack with all this upside. I know that was the week that Mike uh, won the Thunderdome as well. So I think that's really good, just being flexible, uh, not kind of getting too uh, caught up in what we've seen earlier in the week happen. Uh, I think it's a great time to build for sure. Yeah, Leone, how are you feeling about our process? You and I will sometimes hop on Saturday night calls as well to kind of get our frame of reference for the slate. And I think that helps to um, expedite our process on Sundays, make us a little more nimble, knowing like these are the kind of directions we might go. We don't normally have kind of off the board plays coming that we hadn't discussed at least at some point, right? Yeah, I'm really, I think I benefit a lot from our Saturday night conversations because we look at different sources. I mean, we look at some of the same sources, but also slightly different sources for ownership projection sometimes and regular projection. And there are names that I miss because I don't even consider them that, you know, you kind of have a second viewpoint on. I think that helps me a lot. Uh, and, and we see, you know, a lot, in a lot of cases, when you aggregate the market, you know, you get a really good sense of where the pulse is both on good projected plays straight up and where the ownership is going to be. So I found that to be really beneficial. I do feel a little rushed Sunday mornings. Uh, you guys must feel more rushed than me. Joe says he doesn't. I feel a little rushed. You guys get off your show. I'm kind of like sitting there ready. Like let's, let's make these lineups. Uh, cause we, we cut it somewhat tight, but usually I have my lineups made by then we'll say to Joe's point, we've done a really good job of not getting anchored and adjusting our stacks based on where the ownership is that morning. The week we lost the Thunderdome, we actually got on one of the highest projected stacks at low ownership because we saw, oh my goodness, everyone's kind of galaxy brand themselves off of this. And I think even the week we won, you know, we played that Dallas double stack kind of realizing it's not going to be that owned. And it really wasn't. If you bring that team up, the Dallas part of Odell coming back was chalky, but Cooper was 14%. Dak was 10 and lamb was three or four. So uh, we've done a really good job with that. The one strategic change that I don't know if we have to make, but I'd like to at least consider is maybe doubling up on some stacks. We really like and playing it in different ways. We generally have you know if we have four teams we're playing four different stacks and i wouldn't mind maybe saying hey we love two stacks this week let's play them in two different ways 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's something I never do either, just because it's so fun to build different stacks. And so I tend to gravitate toward like, hey, I'm going to have my core group of players, maybe a running back wide receiver that I'm going to use in most of these lineups and then cycle the stacks through. Holka, do you have a preference on that? Would you like to get overweight on a specific stack relative to a, a core? The first thing that kind of pops into my mind is like almost like the strategy in a qualifier where most people are probably not going to have over like three entries anyway. So it's not the same as three max because it's not a completely level playing field. But if you are in a live final and you have like three seats and there's a bunch of people that have one, it makes sense to kind of spread out a little bit more and have two teams that finish extremely poorly and have one team that has a shot to win. That's kind of what you're going for and something like that. Uh, I'm curious what the only thinks. I'm sure it's a little bit different for three max, but the field sizes we're playing versus like a live final actually pretty similar in that way. So I think that um, that's something I'm thinking about. I'm also like looking at that stack in general. I think one thing that kind of goes understated sometimes in terms of ownership, and I've heard Bales talk about this before also, is that the cumulative ownership of your stack is what matters a lot as well. Like just because there's pieces of it that are a little bit chalkier, the amount of people that are in that specific GBP that have three or four of those exact pieces together, you're a lot more differentiated already than you realize just by overstacking like that. So I think that's something to mention too. Yeah. And I would say too, Mike, wouldn't you say uh, it also would have to do with kind of how popular a stack is like if you think a double stack is going to be or even a core stack is going to be under owned, then you're maybe mixing in and out the pieces there. Whereas say if it's a little bit more popular of a stack and you're looking for specific leverage spots there, then it's maybe harder because you're just going to be rolling out the same exact stack twice as, as opposed to like the same game with slightly different pieces. Definitely. The Mahomes stack that Holka brought up the last two weeks, it's been under owned, but you could have played it in different ways. Like that's a good example where we could have played it with Robinson and Kelsey. We could have played it an expensive one with Tyreek and Kelsey. There's different ways to bring it back. I think that's a good one to mix and match. And two, I mean, we know we play a lot of contrarian one-offs and whatnot. So if we're playing these guys that can make or break a lineup, it's kind of interesting to have a stack, you know, two times with sort of these different contrarian one-off type plays that we're using. Yeah. Got a couple questions here and also people in the discord had sent in some questions, which I will plug as well. Lots of good conversations going. If you're watching on my channel, I have a link to the discord down below. Um, those guys are talking all throughout the week about stuff. The same idea we're discussing here, how us bouncing ideas off of each other really helps us kind of hone in, see the slate from a more macro perspective see things that we might be missing. You can definitely accomplish that by talking to other sharp people. So definitely hop in the Discord. Roto-Grinders has a great Discord as well. You guys can hop in that and get in the mix, bouncing ideas off of other people. Here was a question from Joe, and I had actually gotten this one in the Discord as well. And kind of this idea of um, overall lineup ownership. I know some people like to look at cumulative. Some people like to multiply it. I think people in general, we like hard and fast rules. So people want to know, okay, I got to be under 130% cumulative ownership. I personally don't think about it like that. But Joe, how are you thinking overall about ownership? And obviously the contest selection really drives this discussion. Yeah, Pete, everyone wants the answers to the test, man. What is the cap <laughs> of ownership that you can play these guys together? I don't think of it that way at all. I also don't do a lot of mass multi-entry. So if you're doing that, maybe having some sort of structure would make sense with your with your optimizer of choice. Uh, so I get that. But no, it's not really something that I, I pay a ton of attention to. I think indirectly, like Leone talks a lot about like double counting things. I, I think that indirectly, the types of stacks that we're coming up to, you won't really end up 
on a, a stack that's just like over owned in that way too because that wouldn't be one we'd be considering yeah and there's kind of i think two ways to think about this right like one thing i realized from playing a lot of other sports like ultimately we want the most possible points without being duplicated, right? There's nothing worse than having a lineup duplicated. Uh, so in NFL, that's not going to be as big of a consideration, right? Because there's so many possible combination dupes aren't as big of an issue unless you're playing the Thunderdome, uh, in which case it's possible to be duped with four other people I've heard. But Mike, there still is this concept of leverage too. And I, I think of it as like playing, you know, six V sixes. If everyone is playing the same two players, how do you think about this concept of, you know, you're not necessarily worried about dupes, but you still want to give yourself a chance to really lap the field? And do you have any kind of arbitrary number cumulative uh, cutoffs you like to look at? I definitely don't have an arbitrary cumulative cutoff because, you know, some weeks we talk about, you know, not just having a contrarian stack or a contrarian play, but getting off the contrarian build and the contrarian structure. And sometimes when you go down that path, you go from mega chalky to super contrarian across the board because you're so different. You're just playing guys at different salary levels, at different positions that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to look at that lineup and say, oh, it's too contrarian. I know it's, it's sort of this A or B type thing where A is you're going with the chalk build and maybe you do one or you know, do a two V two on some guys or B you go with the non chalk build, in which case you're probably pretty low owned across the board. And I think that's okay. And we've done a good job mixing and matching that the week we won it was contrarian stack and we were still able to fit the chalk running backs in, but there was another week, you know, I, I did well the week Aaron Jones went off and everyone played Leonard Fournette at chalk. And you know, that was a situation where when I got off the build, because Jones, I believe was a little bit cheaper. I, I just had like almost no chalk in that lineup whatsoever. And, and someone even said to me, Hey, is that lineup? I know you won, but is it too contrarian for a small field? And, I don't know. I, I just like to see how many spots I can get in my lineup where I can really pick up points on the field, you, you know, and, and really just like, I don't think you could ever have too much leverage at a certain point. If you're, if you have really fringy plays and you have eight really fringy plays, then yeah, you've probably gone too far. But if you have eight plays that you legitimately feel good about, but maybe they project a point or so behind the top plays, I think that's fine. You can give up five to eight projected points out of you know 160 projected points if you're getting a ton of leverage out of it. Yeah, and one shift and a key shift that I made, like last year I was the biggest donkey because I, I fancied myself as this contrarian player and whatever the, oh, I can't play Christian McCaffrey, I can't play Lamar Jackson and all of this, but I didn't have a reason for why I was fading it. And what I've now realized, so take the Dalvin Cook example from last week. I faded Dalvin Cook. Okay, so that that turned out bad. But how I went about fading him was trying to leverage it. If Dalvin Cook doesn't succeed, maybe it's Derrick Henry, who no one is playing, who's the running back that goes off. Oh, we're going to play Justin Jefferson or Adam Thielen. Maybe they benefit if Dalvin Cook doesn't go off. So being like very purposeful and mindful with how you're leveraging it, it's not just I'm fading this guy. Like if you're going to fade Mike Davis this week at 60%, you might need to try to tell yourself a story. How does he fail? You know, maybe that game just collapses or maybe Teddy Bridgewater, you know, is throwing two touchdowns to Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore at the goal line. You know, whatever you need to say, if you're going to make those decisions, I think you just need to, dare I say, tell yourself a story around <laughs> how that chalk fills, Joe. Do you, do you like that line of thinking? 
Yeah, I, I like that quite a bit. And and we'll say this too, that like things have changed. Like I had some people that like were actually like, ripping on me in the chat uh, about like, Joe, you've changed. You're playing all these like 1% guys, like you're playing Derrick Henry, you're playing wide receivers in your flex, all this stuff. And I was like, okay. But also when I was talking about doing those sort of things like two, three years ago in small fields, when I was basically just playing the 1500 every week, I, it was a little bit different time then. There was not near as many people throwing in a real optimal into some of these smaller field contests. So then if you did build what you thought was somewhat optimal and do a slight kind of correlation tweak or just one low leverage spot, like I was basically just doing that and I had a lot of success more just like this year we see Peter Jennings win with that really cheap or really chalky lineup I think it was like week five or something like that that used to be the type of lineups that I would play in these but I've like come around and come full circle on some of the things that you guys have been talking about all year and if anything I've grown as a player for sure talking with you guys and trying to think through these things a little bit differently because it's still all about like no one is good at everything there's very few people that can just go do MME and be very elite at MME but also be good at these small fields be good at showdown all this stuff um so I, I think trying to find your niche and like if you have not near as much time throughout the week to do everything like kind of shitty let's do a few things like really well and that's what we're trying to do and that is one of the benefits of working on these lineups together there's a question here from chris on how do you decide on late swap especially when pete isn't watching the live lineups and this does like that is partially my leak in that i i know my teams i know my higher buy-in entries. I know generally if I'm loaded more chalk early or late, et cetera. And uh, I would say last week was one of our bigger swaps we've collectively done together. And I'll also uh, give Joe a lot of credit and he's the one always pushing us to think about those swaps early on. I will say, Mike, our lineups are generally so contrarian that there isn't a ton of swaps. But this past <laughs> week we did, Joe, why don't you tell people kind of what got you thinking in this line of thought and kind of the big swap we did? You don't have to get into the specifics. Yeah, I no, really I think just more the, the thought process of it is everyone knows if you're behind, you need to give yourself a chance to pass people. But just like if people want their quick and dirty rules, like you could literally just look at ownership and ceiling. There's metrics out there that kind of take into consideration both. We have some at livemovement.com. We have, I know there's like one that's pretty good at fantasy labs as well. Um, so one of the things that you're trying to do is not just swap to lower own plays that don't have a chance to still give you that ceiling. That's why you have to take into consideration both. That, that's something that Leone has done really well also. So there's different leverage scores and stuff like that out there that will help you like literally just sort by the games remaining, try and figure out which guys are going to be under owned that still have a ceiling and figure out how the pieces come together. We still want to try and correlate, just correlate a little bit differently than our originally our plan was. That works a lot better when you have some chalk in the late games, which you don't always have. And sometimes we're so dead, it doesn't matter anyway. But we're still trying to give ourselves a chance at that point. And it's still something that a lot of people don't do enough of, for sure. And Leone, this might be our best late swap slate of the entire year here coming up. Have, have you been factoring that into your lineup building thoughts? I haven't yet, but I definitely think... We should, you know, when you've got six late games and five early games, there, there's an advantage to having pretty clear swaps in mind. And I think sometimes too, when people make their lineups, they go, oh, I have late guys. So I have late swap flexibility, but they don't really kind of see what that actually means. Then combinations they can actually do. And then come swap time, there's really not as much there as they thought. So I think being very cognizant of that and also structuring our teams in different ways where you know, we're playing four teams. If one of them's kind of chalky early and one of them's like contrarian early and, and they're almost leveraged against each other, but that gives us 
to like a very clear late swap proposition on one or the other, I think is kind of a, a neat way to try it. I don't think we want to play plays we don't like on one just to do that. But if we have some chalk plays we like and some contrarian plays we don't like, the way we mix and match them, we might want to group the early chalk together and group the early contrarian plays together and see if we can get a team that jumps way out in the lead and, and then we can chalkify it late uh, or the opposite if it, it sort of flounders. I never do this, but always in my head, this is this is how sick I am, and this is one of my fantasies. One of my <laughs> fantasies is having the same team twice with the the chalk front loaded, and it goes off, and then you're sitting here at the 4 p.m. slate, and you're looking, oh, I can basically spin this off into two unique teams with the nuts already in the 1 p.m. slate. Am I sick, Joe, that that's one of my fantasies? Pete, like I've had something happen. Like, so my biggest one ever uh, was the Stefan Diggs Minneapolis miracle catch. I was at the game. He ran into the end zone I was in. It was like the coolest thing ever, but that was a late swap team. And I, I talk about this a lot more during the playoff times because that's when you have a little bit more time to think through leverage than you do on a normal Sunday slate. But basically, that was the year where the Jacksonville defense was just super elite. No one wanted to play anyone against them. And that playoff round, it was the Pittsburgh Steelers versus no one wanted to play the Pittsburgh Steelers basically because they're playing against Jacksonville. So I had uh, a decent start on, uh, I think, some really cheap. I think it was Tennessee wide receivers. It was like a Corey Davis week or something like that against, uh, uh, I think it was against uh, the Patriots. And I had a double dip with Dion and Patriots defense. So I had I was off to a good start. So I wasn't really exactly sure what to go or what to do going into the uh, the night game or the next day of games. So one team I kept with like most of my chalk and the other team I switched to basically a full onslaught game stack of this Pittsburgh and Jacksonville game. And that game ends up being like 43 to 52. So um, I was sitting there with Stefan Diggs left in the last game. Uh, we know what happened with that touchdown was still basically winning all the small field stuff, but then ended up. Uh, obviously getting bolted up and a bunch of the larger field stuff with that digs touchdown. So that was like, everyone needs like that, that first moment where it just clicks that late swap, like truly matters. It's truly how you get to the top. My only regret is that obviously I wouldn't have gotten more aggressive with every team. Right. So I had basically, I think it was like six contests, main contests. I split them right down the middle. Three was my chalky team. Three was my galaxy brain late swap team. And obviously the only team that really had a chance to win anything big was the late swap team. So I think that's always something interesting too to talk about is like, when should you be late swapping? Should you be late swapping when you think you have a chance to win or when you're just trying to get back to the cash line? Like that's part of it too. I struggle personally if things go really well, still trying to get a little bit different to try and get truly to the actual top. So that was a good learning experience for sure. Yeah, along those lines, I had a team a few years ago where Antonio Brown was major chalk in the late game against the Patriots and Todd Gurley, no one was playing him against Seattle because this is when Seattle's defense was still good. And I had a, a very good start, but not a nut start. And I ultimately decided to keep Brown in the lineup and you know, I kind of, I mean, of course, in retrospect, when things work out a certain way, it's hard not to judge it, but Brown, I think ends up leaving her early at like 30% ownership and Gurley at like 2% ownership scores four touchdowns. And I, you know, I run away with the tournament. And for me, it really visualized that as long as the ceiling's there for guys, you know, you're better off being a little bit on the leverage side. You know, if you don't have the full nuts and, you know, if you have the full nuts, that's a different story. Um, Cause you're at that point, you're actually blocking people. But if you're unsure, if you're ahead or not ahead, I think you're better off, you know, taking some chances within reason. 
And I think that goes back ultimately to the not playing scared thing, making sure you're playing contests where you can make optimal decisions, because a lot of time that decision comes down to your own risk tolerance of like, hey, I could finish maybe top 30, top 40 in this tournament, no problem here. But then you look at the price structure and you're like, holy cow, look how much is in the top five spots. It's like, try to go get in that top five spot, even though you know your floor is going to lower by making that decision, but your your positive EV, uh, or it's way more positive EV if you give yourself a chance at that top five prize. So I think that goes back to making sure you're playing contests where you uh, you don't have to worry about you know bricking out because you know you're ultimately in the long run going to be making the right decision. Um, let's start building a lineup here. We'll do it a little slower than I normally do um, because I want to talk through kind of all the decision points as if we had pulled this up on a Sunday AM at noon here. I think we ultimately have to start with probably the biggest decision point on the slate, or maybe not a big decision point. Some people are just going to jam him. Holka, what are you doing with Mike Davis? Is he an auto must play for you in the size contest we're playing? Or can we talk you into a galaxy brand? So I think you have to decide if you're going to be, I guess, more on the Duke Johnson side, or if you're going to be more on the Mike Davis side. Personally, I think that extra thousand dollars goes a long way. If you do play Mike Davis, I think there's enough people that will see that matchup and be a little bit scared to where maybe he isn't like 40, 50% owned. Uh, maybe in the contest we are, it'd be a little bit different. Uh, so no, I, I have no problem with Mike Davis, but I don't know if he should be like our first guy in. I, I think that there's definitely a couple of stacks out there that early ownership would tell us is still pretty under owned. Leone, where are you at as the, as the contrarian mega mind here with Mike Davis? I, I think we should just play them and eat that chalk, even though I'm the contrarian mega mind. And this is where if we were playing MME large field, you can see some routes to where you fade them. I mean, he scored nine, eight and a half, 12 and a half points his last three starts with McCaffrey out. Those are non-winnable in MME, but I think he also ran kind of bad those three weeks and really his outcomes, the six weeks he played without McCaffrey, he had three really great games in a row and he had three really bad games in a row. And I think it probably messes with people's psyches a little bit too much. So even though I see routes to certainly where, uh, and sometimes too, you don't even have to tell yourself a story. I know you said, tell yourself a story if you're making a fade. And I think that makes sense a large majority of the time. I think sometimes you can just be like, you know, he's going to score 12 points 50% of the time and not kill me and just live with it. Um, but in the fields we're playing at 4k the cap space it clears up i think when you look at it all in, in conjunction and the fact that he has a legitimate ceiling uh even in a tough matchup uh with the pass catching role too uh, i i would prefer just to eat it on, on most if not all of our lineups yeah i'm 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 there you know i was prepared to eat it last week with tony pollard if we got zeke out 4000 and you know a similarly tough matchup, but when you bake in that pass catching role and hardly any competition for touches, it's just very, very tough to pass up on. And I will say, you know, we did the the stream last night, Holka, we got Brandon Reed over in the Roto Grinders chat. He does not want to play Mike Davis. People are scared about this matchup. You know, they see the DVP here with Tampa Bay and my hope is that this thought actually pushes him down more into that 50% range as opposed to what I think is actually efficient. He should be in, you know, the 65 to 80% range as far as what his uh, projection uh, is showing. So I'm completely fine eating the Mike Davis chalk here. I guess the next question then is, you know, at his price, he can totally be a one-off, but is he a guy that we would want to correlate as ways to get unique around Hulk. Are you uh, any other pieces in this Tampa Bay game? Or are you just good with him as a one-off? 
Yeah, I haven't looked in too much to like the Tampa Bay side in general. Just the fact that Gronk has basically just not been seeing near as much usage when Antonio Brown has been there, obviously. So I think that those guys um, are at least interesting. I think that if you did want to just not go away from the Carolina game or just not play anyone else from that game in particular, if we're not probably playing Duke Johnson, there there's still probably some value in another Deshaun Watson stack. I know we talked about that a little bit last week or sorry last night as well um so i think that's at least in consideration trying to figure out a way to if we are playing mike davis figure out a way to leverage duke johnson yeah i leone the more i think about duke johnson i feel like he's a little bit more potentially the trap just in that he filled in for david johnson when he went out and so they didn't really have anyone else that they felt comfortable giving those carries to on short notice i'm worried this is one of those situations where the role isn't actually reflective after a week of practice and they game plan who are you are you projecting buddy howell or whoever for carries right now i'm projecting cj Procise, who they released by i believe they re-signed to the practice squad when duke johnson was out he ended up kind of elevating past Howell, I believe, in at least one of those weeks that he was out. So yeah, I too kind of worry. It looks like it's going to be 100% Duke Johnson based on last week, but it seems like Howell is a special teamer who they're just not playing in regular downs. So they'll have another running back active. So even if Howell doesn't do anything, that second running back could do stuff. And starting to see, uh, we saw the severe wins in Cleveland, that Raiders game, Pete, where we went Wait, back. Wait, is Leone a win tout now? I, I'm just it? saying there's, there's chances. If you're looking at telling yourself a story for how he fails, it's that, you know, what if the game just stinks plus the role isn't great and he's, you know, he's up to 5K. That, that's a big difference in 4K. I do want to bring it back to the Tampa Bay Carolina thing. I think an excellent thing to do in small field is the game stack Carolina Tampa Bay. I believe we're going to get angry Tom Brady here in a soft matchup. And I think there's a lot of upside there. Chris Godwin probably won't be owned at really low ownership. He's the receiver I feel best about on Tampa Bay side. And then even you could double up Carolina, which I think people will be afraid to do in this tough matchup, but they're so concentrated and the prices are so good that playing Mike Davis and DJ Moore for a combined 9,100 and bringing it back with Chris Godwin, I think is super reasonable. Even if you don't play the quarterback from the game and you kind of end up with two game stacks, then we go and play maybe a more traditional you know, higher upside games that or higher upside quarterback stack alongside it. Uh, that's something I, I would like to do with one of our four teams. Yeah, for sure. Um, for, for this, I, I was just going to pull this up real quick here. Uh, we got Kevin Roth over at Roto Grinders here. He has already flagged both the Houston Cleveland game and Jacksonville Green Bay game as potentially nasty ones as far as wind. Now, when, when Leone and I were bickering about wind a few weeks ago, he, those winds were projecting at 45, 50 mile per hour gusts, which is a whole different ballpark than these 20 to 25. So I think it's something to keep tabs on. You know, we're a few days out, so we have to see where these forecasts shake up, but it's definitely something to consider. And actually, why don't we talk about this right now? I mean, Devontae Adams has been about as close to a lock as we've gotten so far in DFS this year. Now he's priced up at 9,000. Now we have win concerns. We have blowout concerns. All of these factors here. Joe, where are you at on Devontae Adams this week? Yeah, I think there's going to be enough people that talk themselves out of that price tag to be completely frank about it. I think that at 9K, I don't know if there's like these super elite running backs like Christian McCaffrey that can like get us the double bonus for like whatever at like that price range. So like we're going to have to try and find some floor and ceiling on our teams. We don't have Dalvin Cook on the slate. There's no big dog Derrick Henry on the slate. So like there's other ways that we're going to have to find 
some ceiling here. One of the things that I was kind of looking into earlier in the week, uh, just from Sports Info Solutions, is looking at man coverage versus zone coverage. This is a spot where Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers have been extremely successful this year overall, just against these type of defenses. So yeah, we've seen the usage around the goal line as well. Green Bay is not scared uh, to throw around the goal line uh, to Devontae Adams in particular. Um, so I, I think that he's fine. Uh, I guess what what's the ownership on Devontae Adams looking like? Am, am I just wrong? Are people just going to jam this guy in because we have uh, Mike Davis? I'm seeing around like an average of 20% ownership for him. Okay. Yeah. Probably uh, higher in our contest. Yeah, maybe a little bit higher, although I do think kind of the narratives around the the wind and the blowout could ultimately end up lowering him. Where are you at on Adams, Leone? I'm torn because I do think with the wind and the blowout that his ownership, like I'll take the under on 20% in our contest. Um, but maybe with the Mike Davis free square, people just have the room. I don't love the play. Uh, he doesn't project great for me with, you know, I think Lazard is going to be back. Aaron Jones is back. We've got wind stuff, blowout concerns. I I'm a little worried that he isn't going to hit the true ceiling he needs to hit, which I mean, if there's someone that can score 40 DK points, it's definitely him, but he could get to 30 and, you know, we're fine not playing him. And I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I don't have anything super pressing on it. I, I'm just a little bit off of Devonte right now. I know like everything in my brain says that he's a pretty easy fade at this price ownership and all these secondary concerns. And then I have that part in me, my, you know, my heart in my gut that is like, is this just another Michael Thomas situation, a Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey situation where they just smash every single week and you're overthinking it when you have a Mike Davis at 4,000 that allows you to go studs and duds. But yeah, I'm with you right now. I'm leaning on not being overweight on Devontae Adams. Willis brings up a point here about Eckler. If he was back, would you play him at 5.3? I mean, I think we definitely would. Last I heard, I think he said on his Twitch stream last night that he's eyeing week 13. So I think we're a few ways uh, weeks away from that, but it is dovetailing us in nicely to talk about another running back play. I'm kind of excited about, are we? Are, are you fist bumping for Miles Sanders, Leon? Yes, sir. Okay. Miles Sanders on any other week, I, I believe would be chalk if he wasn't coming off a bye week injury and he was fresh in people's minds. If we didn't have, you know, the chalky running backs and Mike Davis and Duke Johnson, but because we have that Mike Davis, Duke Johnson, take up two spots. Then you've got the stud running backs and Alvin Kamara and Aaron Jones. And all of a sudden that leaves Miles Sanders fifth on the pecking order. I think no, I'm not saying people won't play him, but no matter how you slice it, he's fifth. Yeah, I don't see any way he gets in the top four in ownership. So you're going to give me him as the fifth owned back on the week, you know, regardless of what that actual ownership is. In a favorable matchup against the Giants, uh, they're going to feed Sanders. I, I feel really good about that play. Uh, and in general, those mid-tier running backs, they really let me down last week, but I'm sort of back on them again this week with people playing both ends of the spectrum where you know, this could let us do an – an expensive stack. If we go Mike Davis and like two mid tier running backs, instead of Mike Davis, a cheap Duke Johnson and expensive running back. All right, Joe, the ultimate question, does Miles Sanders 
pass the Holka running back litmus test. I like Miles Sanders. We talked about him in like week. I don't remember. It was very early on as like being a somewhat comparable play to Joe Mixon at low ownership, right? Because he's still going to have uh, a lot of usage. He's using the pass game. I'm fine with that. I think it gives us an opportunity to kind of leverage. I think what will be one of the more popular tight ends in Dallas Goddard also. So we could do a little mini stack with uh, with playing Evan Ingram with Sanders. If you guys are into that, almost 10 targets, three straight games. That good. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that actually just jumped on me, I had to refresh and get my uh, Roto-Grinders Chrome extension working here, but Miles Sanders on RG projecting much higher than I see you guys have over at ETR in some other places. Uh, Leody, does that give you a little pause seeing that? Oh, you're muted. A little bit, but end of the day, I don't know. Do you really think he comes in, you know, higher than Aaron Jones, Kamara, Duke, and Mike Davis? And the other thing too, in our fields, the chalk condenses, you know, on that chalk build. So I feel like he's the guy who gets squeezed of the group. I agree. Uh, And and I'm not looking to get him at 5% ownership, but even 15, I, I feel great about. Yeah, I'm with you. you. You do just have to look at how the pieces are going to fit. And unless people are getting off Duke Johnson um, and then kind of getting in that third running back that happens to be Miles Sanders, I do think he will be the odd man out. And you're probably looking in our stuff around 12 to 15% is what I would guess. Yeah. And I know you mentioned James Conner as a guy you liked as well. And uh, if Sanders is really 24%, then Conner has got to be you know, we're talking single digits. I know there his snap share hasn't been as great recently, but if I look at the carries and the touches, it seems like it's completely fine. Maybe a little bit less pass game usage with all the receivers that they have to feed there. Uh, but as far as, you know, a game that looks like the right game script for him to get a bonus and a couple of TDs, this is it. So uh, I'm back to liking the mid-tier running backs again. I'm you know, death by DeAndre Swift, I will also just play into the ground. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I will also say this is another good illustration about how much stuff can change right now. Like we see the Miles Sanders ownership projections are kind of all over the board. We don't know how the narratives are going to shift, where people settle for the three running backs they ultimately feel comfortable on, who that means gets squeezed out. So again, this is why it's so important on Sundays to recheck in on ownership, kind of look at things with a clear slate. But let's let's move on here with the assumption that Sanders is going to come in lower than this 24 projected here. And again, I think this is a pretty solid way of how we start our lineups. We eat some good chalk. We try to get a little bit of a leverage play at running back. Joe, do you have another one-off play? Do you want to correlate Miles Sanders? Should we start thinking about our stack? Where do we go from here? Yeah, let's start thinking about our stack. I, I think that if we did want to like entertain the the James Conner thing, we could look into like a Joe Burrow stack. A lot of those wide receivers are looking like they're coming in super low owned, still have a decent ceiling. Guys like Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins uh, are kind of probably a little bit overpriced, but Burrow is super cheap. Uh, so I don't know if you guys are into that. I like the Watson stack a little bit. Like I said, I know there's some wind concerns there. Um, so maybe we stay away from that one, but what kind of stacks are you guys on right now? Let me real quick, just answer a couple of questions. So people know. So, um, this lineup we are building, uh, in mind for our larger field or sorry, smaller field, single entry and three max contest. So we play the single entry, uh, game changer, Leone, how many people are normally in that? They've upped it. It's about 375, I believe, somewhere around there. And the juke is what? Is that more at like... Oh, I'm sorry. I switched that. The, the juke is about 375. The game changer is usually around 200 people. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's the thing to, you know, again, just anchor yourself. We're not, we're not building a millimaker, you know, team here. And again, this is all going to change, but we're doing a thought exercise to kind of show you guys. These are the things we talk through when we build on Sunday for these size tournaments. And then Vincent real quick uh, with the Chrome extension, the highlighted thing is for weather. So you're seeing the red on Jacksonville, Green Bay, the green, if it's in a dome or good weather, yellow is a little bit moderate concern. So those are why you are seeing those colors there. Um, all right. So back to first, you. Yeah. Just for stacks. I think the big decision, you know, Mike Davis is the big decision at running back at stacks. The big decision is, are you going to eat the chalk in this Arizona Buffalo game? You know, right. That That's the huge decision. Uh, if you get off that, there's not as many stud quarterbacks this week as there were last week. Where So I feel better about going cheap at quarterback, especially with two of the stud quarterbacks playing each other, where if that game tanks, you know, now all of a sudden the only other stud quarterback is Russ and he's really expensive. Um, so you could get all, some, you know, decent constructions where like a Wentz, Miles Sanders, Rager, Ingram team, and then you can kind of go nuts with the rest of your lineup. Like that's pretty cheap and interesting. But um, so, do, but do you guys want to play the Buffalo, Arizona stacks are somewhat tough this week uh, because they're expensive, but it has by far the highest upside. And then Seattle Rams is second. That where I'm kind of gravitating right now, if I were just building one single lineup, I kind of like the idea of going off the Buffalo Arizona game and playing the Seattle Rams game at a little less ownership. And I think you go, I mean, Joe and I were talking about this last week. We see the ownership here. Nobody's going to play DK Metcalf again. <laughs> they're, they're worried about yeah. Jalen Ramsey or, or whatever. So I'm kind of inclined to stack that up. I also think Jacob Hollister is one of the better punt tight end plays. I always like getting rid of tight end in a relatively smart way. And then you have lots of options with Rams guys coming back as well. So that's kind of where I'm leaning as of right now. And then you could still maybe correlate uh, or do a cheap one-off from that game. So you want to play Gabriel Davis at, at 3,700 or whatever to try to get some leverage on the digs ownership. So that's where I'm leaning. Joe, do you have a preference on a game stack right now? Yeah, I like the Russ call. Like like Leone said, there's not a lot of elite quarterbacks, especially if you throw in the weather concerns with Rodgers and with Watson. So I don't I don't mind the Russ idea. There's definitely weapons on the LA side of it that we could go uh, bring it back with. Do you think that we like try and leverage Tyler Lockett, like the most uh, highly owned piece in this game? Probably, maybe maybe someone like Cooper Cup will approach that in our contest, but. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe we go with someone like Metcalf uh, and then we take care of tight end and figure out a, a bring back on the, the LA side. That's kind of what I was thinking. Are you good, Leone, with a, a Russ Metcalf Hollister? Yeah, I, I think that works. I do think a golf double is interesting too, just because even though they're more of a run heavy team, we've seen them like in the Miami game, if they get in the right script, they'll just throw so many times. I think golf threw 60 times in the Miami game that, I like entertaining that, but I'm fine with the Seattle side of it um, as well. If we did do the golf double and we bring it back with Metcalf, would you also want to toss Hollister in there as the double bring back, or would you want to be doing something different? You could definitely double bring it. It's the type of game you, with Russ. You can definitely double bring it back. I, I'm a little shaky on the Hollister play, but I, I think you know cheap tight end correlated has sort of been my thing, so I think that works. Yeah, and my, you know, be I, I know I start, you know, just talking about these plays as if as if they're locks. I do not think Jacob Hollister is a lock. I just love his price. I like this game yeah. environment. No one's gonna 
play him, uh, it looks like right now. And he led the tight ends in routes uh, last week. And I think we've kind of noticed a pattern here where they're starting to phase out Greg Olson a little bit. Obviously, Disley's still there. But I just like this idea. We saw it with David Moore last week. I mentioned Gabriel Davis. These kind of cheap, low-owned plays in these games that shoot out um, are just a really nice source of value. We've also seen it with Demarcus Robinson in the past few weeks. So I like looking at these guys. Um, my thing, I kind of prefer, it seems like the golf double is going to be kind of popular. We built that on the Swolecast on Wednesday and heard uh, a lot of people saying they, they love that and everyone's saying how easy it is to make it fit. I'm kind of inclined to buy a little bit low on the Seahawks. I think people were disappointed in what Russell did last week. And I, I kind of like going back to him this week. I think Goff is expensive too. Like he's 6,500. It's not like he's some of these other guys that are like high 5Ks, low 6Ks. So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a big Jared Goff guy overall, but I'm good with you guys, whatever you guys think. Let's let's do uh, Russell here for now. And then Leone, how do you start thinking about the bring back? If we do do the shell, obviously we can mix things up as we want, but I think you can make cases for, for three different running back or wide receivers for the Rams. Uh, do you have one you're leaning toward right now? Yeah, I lean towards Woods with all the attention on Lockett owner or all the attention on Cup ownership wise. The RG ownership projections have it somewhat close where I'd actually play Cup if it really does come in that close. So I guess it comes down to how wide do you think it is. If the if it's a ten point plus gap, you know, give me Woods. If it's going to be a few point gap, then I'll take Cup for only a few hundred bucks more. Yeah, Joe, do you have a lean? Obviously, you know, Cooper Cup, when we last saw him at 20 plus targets, now gets the best possible matchup. I do agree with Leone and think Cup's ownership starts to get steamed here on our way to Sunday. It's a hard call to make this early in the week. I, I'm with you. Like if it's very close between the two, definitely prefer cup. Uh, obviously, we talked a little bit about Josh Reynolds as well. He's in the buy low over at ETR this week. Uh, so he's pretty cheap. That would allow us a little bit more flexibility with flex and DF defense a little bit. I realize here we're running out of time. We do have a hard out here at one, but I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed this kind of conversation here because this is almost exactly about how we talk about these things. The only difference being we have more locked and loaded ownership numbers on Sunday. Um, Leone, normally I would say here, um, this is where we're putting in a cheap defense and then looking at a wide receiver flex mini correlation here. Do we do we try to buck our bad habit and go for a, a more medium range defense here and see what we got? Uh, I don't know. I see a little McLaurin Swift and a cheap defense. Sort of. <laughs> oh, oh, we're baby. back. We relapsed, baby. We relapsed. We might uh, as well get to show the people what we do, put in the cheapest defense. Go ahead. Who's the cheap defense we like this week, guys? I like the Rams defense a lot, but obviously we can't play that one against Seattle. So um, if we Raiders wanted to go... What's that? Those Raiders is a really good one, I think. That's right. the one that TJ brought up in my show last week or last night. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. We can do that one. The nice thing about playing Mike Davis and Hollister is, I mean, we're still, you know, we have what I would still consider a pretty premium double stack, a nice running back, and we still have 6,300 here um, for wide receiver and flex. Uh, so Leone mentioned the McLaurin, and I mean, you're going to even have more money than that if you want to do the Swift. Uh, I don't, yeah. I don't even. I think we could even get up a, a little more premium than that. Yeah. It just depends if you want to correlate it or not. Yeah. I'm just trying to think here. Like if you did eat um, any of that bills, chalk um, digs, and then you'd be Kirk is probably too much. Yeah. Right? Kirk's going to be too much. 
he's going to be too much. Any other correlations um, you're liking here, Joe, as we wrap this up? Yeah, I was going to say that if we wanted just one off Michael Thomas in the flex, I don't know what that would leave us with. I, I still like that idea as well, just with after his kind of dud last week, but that might be a little bit uh, thin. 5,200 at flex then for us. Yeah, I was trying to see if Ayuk would fit. I mean, we could, you could go back to the Richie James well, although it looks like Kendrick Bourne's going to be back. Ayuk's going to be back. Um, yeah, probably doesn't fit. Probably doesn't. But I mean, I, I don't mind that that thought process here. I mean, this is as we wrap up Leone. I mean, and again, we're, we're not as in the weeds on these correlations we like yet, but yeah. uh, I'm guessing you would say you don't have to force the secondary correlation here. It's just a bonus if it works out. No, you don't have to. Um, like I said, I really like the Washington Detroit game a little bit, a sneaky dome game uh, with some weather issues and just getting McLaurin there. Uh, he just seems like he's going to go way under own, but you also could just play him as a one-off and just play a, like we could either play Swift with a better D or we could just play, you know, I you mean. Could, yeah. I mean, there, we, I, I always love play pool as a one-off. Yeah. Antonio Brown, the correlator, Mike Davis. I know. I, I honestly oh, do think Antonio Brown is like an okay play and it, it just makes me sick to my <laughs> stomach. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of, yeah, let's, um, again, for now, this is a choose your own adventure here at the end. We haven't got a chance to look at all of the core weight correlations we love, but uh, I think Claypool in general is one of these great one-off plays because we've seen the ceiling. We know that he can get there without like the big Ben double stack necessarily going off as well and low owned. Um, and again, I don't think people necessarily realize cause he didn't explode. He had 13 targets last week. Like that's pretty insane there with all those guys back healthy. So this is just an idea showing you guys how we do this, how we put these lineups together. And, um, you know, one of the big things I just drive home, talk to people, bounce ideas off, get in the discords, look at multiple ownership projections, you know, really get a feel for how things are breaking close to lock and you can make better informed decisions. Shout out to Joe Holka. I have his link to his YouTube here. If you just click in the title on the video, you can check out all of his stuff. We got Leone over at ETR. He will be doing Establish the Million, my favorite GPP show on ETR Saturday mornings with Dink. And then of course, all three of us every Sunday night, I think we're going to go a little, I'll go live a little early this week for the mega, you know, 4 p.m. slate. So you guys can follow line movement. I have a link to that in my show notes as well. Always a great time on Sunday evenings, tilting and sweating. Hit the subscribe button on the way out. We appreciate you guys coming out. Good luck this week.